This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hi, welcome back to Money and Markets. I'm Laura from AJ Bell and I'm joined by Dan from Shares. Hello. So this week we've got loads in the podcast. So we're talking about more fallout from the coronavirus, including what it means for your travel plans, which stocks are more immune from the market fallout. And we've got a listener question on how they handle their pension fund after market falls. We'll also be talking about next week's budget and how checks have moved into the digital age. So first, let's start on some positive news because stock markets have started to pick up again following last week's big fall. This is good news. This is very good news. Well, it is good news to the point where... Have you got a caveat to our positive news? There's always news? a caveat. But no, I think it, <laughs> what I think is it, it's really important to try to be optimistic in these situations because it, it, you mustn't sort of succumb to fear and panic. Um, so stock markets start to recover, but they haven't clawed back all the lost ground that they saw last week. So that's quite important. So if you'd invested, say, two weeks ago, you will still probably be sitting on some sort of uh, loss in value of your portfolio. Um, so what, what's happening is that the markets have been uh, trying to price in expectations that central banks will cut interest rates. Um, so an interest rate tends to be, an interest rate cut tends to be good for stocks, according to history. Um, what happened was the, 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 in the US, the Federal Reserve on Tuesday um, made an emergency cut to interest rates. Markets kind of reacted very briefly in a positive way, but ended, ended up nearly 3% down in America, which is a bit surprising. Oh, that's not the reaction that they would have expected. <laughs> no, so it's definitely not. So I think what's happening, people were thinking, well, the Fed is trying to cut rates to stimulate the economy and essentially stave off... Um, a recession from happening. But people are saying, well, you know, is the scale of this interest rate cut enough? I think we need more. Um, we're still very nervous about what's going on. So uh, there was a there was an American newspaper, which I saw a little something uh, picture flash up on Twitter. It showed um, a very, very long-term share price chart of a market. Um, and they put a circle around the last week and made a point saying, look, on a relative basis, this this week that you've just seen the big collapse in stock markets, it's very tiny. You know, you're in it for the long term, the long game. Investing is all about taking a long term view. So whilst it may seem scary and um, upsetting to see this value wiped off many people's portfolios, put it in some context. You know, let's hope markets will rebound. And, and history suggests that um, they probably will. We, we don't know. I can't guarantee that will happen. But I think that's that's. I think that's pretty sound yeah. advice. And it's kind yeah. of, it tallies a bit with what we were talking about last week as well, if you were listening of, of kind of, this is a, a small blip in what should be a very long-term portfolio. In. Yeah, so, so what, what I've done is I've run some numbers which look at um, from all of last week up until um, Tuesday of this week that we're recording. So essentially, you've you got a, sort of six and a half days worth of trading on the market. So in that period... Global stock markets have experienced very big falls, but there's actually 10 stocks in the FTSE 350 index, which have, are still in positive territory, um, which I thought was quite oh, interesting. interesting. Yeah. And that shows the kind of divergence in the index where everyone says the entire market's fallen, but actually, although it's only a handful, some have managed to make positive returns. Yeah. And I think, that, I mean, there's the, the biggest one 
is actually up by nearly 12% over that period. Mm. Um, it's plus 500. So if you're not familiar with this company, it's um, they offer you the ability to trade in the markets through um, uh, okay. uh, various sort of uh, instruments. So you can, you can essentially you can bet whether a share price will rise or fall, or, or perhaps if the oil price is going to rise or fall. And um, and if you bet that something falls and it does, you would make a profit. So. Both this company and IG Group, which is also up one percent in the past week and a bit, um, they they benefit from volatile markets. So if you see really big wild swings in share prices and, and everyone's starting to panic, um, it's very good for them because what it means is that there's sort of people who like to trade short term, as in potential, so kind of day trader. Type yeah, people. so they, they may want to buy something and sell it an hour later. They love this market conditions. So it means that you can potentially get um, stocks have been oversold or, or, sh- or sh- perhaps should have fallen more than they have done. Um, and so they, they'll get increased um, fees from trading fees from people doing day trading. And also, a lot of these people, if they're betting on something falling, they have to pay financing fees as well. So they're collecting sort of two sources of income here. So the, the market's coming out and saying, we think they're going to do well. And Plus 500 has actually made a statement saying, yes, we have seen increased customer trading activity. Um, so some of the other ones, so Rent-A-Kill is up nearly 10%. Um, and it's reported, oh. now everyone knows it as a rat catcher. Yeah, um, but is it also a kind of cleaning company? Yeah, it, it does lots of... Um, well, it's reported demand for hand washing and hand sanitizing services. So it's, I think pe- people are seeing stories on the news about how everyone's been sort of panic shopping and buying um, these sort of hand sanitizing. But also, gels. I guess offices so, are now offering more kind of hand sanitizer and stuff like that around offices. And- yeah, you know, and, and the general uh, message from the government is just to wash your hands more to try and prevent um, sort of the spread of infection. So anything that's got the sort of the sort of hand sanitizing services sort of tilt to it has been in demand. So Bunzel is another example. So this is a, a company which provides um, products to businesses that they need to do business, but not stuff they actually sell to people. So for example, they'll they'll supply um, like plastic gloves to hospitals. Mm, so okay. people doing. Um, Operations can then throw that glove away at the end of the operation and stuff like that, and and they provide cleaning products to companies. So they've seen, um, uh, you know, the, imagine they've seen big demand for cleaning products from their customers who making more of an effort to make sure that the office environments are are as good as possible for the for the workers. Um, elsewhere, we had things like um, as a, there's been a takeover situation with Pollen Street Secured Lending. So this is an investment trust. Um, there's a couple of infrastructure funds as well. Now, we talked about infrastructure funds on, on last week's podcast uh, about how people look for assets that are uncorrelated to the market. So if you think um, there must be something you can put your money into that if stock markets fall, it shouldn't really matter because what they do, the way they, they make their money is it doesn't it, it's irrelevant to what's happening in the economy. So infrastructure might include um, hospitals or... Um, energy generation assets and stuff like that so we've seen this foresight solar fund and the renewable infrastructure fund both up on the week um and then we've also seen a cardo up as well because the the um, ah, people bulk buying yeah. hoarding stuff 
I know. So what, how much have you got? So have you managed to get all the boxes of pasta in through the front door? <laughs> <laughs> I generally, as a normal status, hoard food anyway. So I'm ready for any apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> at all times. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, clearly these, these supermarkets will have seen this bulk buying. But I think what people need to think about is, yes, people might have sort of um, stocked up and stuff, but there's going to be a point where... You, know, you actually don't need to do that week, the next week shopping. Yeah, so exactly. actually you've got it all. You just eat through that food once you've realised that you don't need to stockpile it. So I'm, I remember, you know, I'm sort of guilty of this for when there was all the, all the fluster about Brexit could hurt sort of supply chains. You know, if, if you stock up on your, your rice and pasta now, um, and of course that was about a year ago and, ever, and then Brexit was delayed and stuff. So actually we ended, <laughs> ended up having so many rice-based meals and, you know, <laughs> I just didn't need to buy it. And I found actually, you know, there was a dip in my um, food shopping bill because I'd already, I'd already bought it all. So whilst the supermarkets are getting a, a boost now, there may be a point where actually they're saying, well, People only need to come in and buy a packet of tomatoes or something. <laughs> I guess the thing might be more people maybe using a cardo to save them having to go into a supermarket and so they know they can get everything delivered that they want. So maybe a cardo is picking up business where people might have otherwise gone into a big supermarket. That yeah. might be at the margins. Yeah, and I think there's lots of talk about people starting to work from home. Um, and I was looking at some of the other chairs that are doing better relative to the market but um there's a couple that have fallen a little bit so domino's pizza was there it's done better than the market so maybe the um investors are sort of thinking that we all are told by our employers that we can't work in the office we have to temporarily work from home actually what we'll be doing is playing on our xbox and ordering pizzas so. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're getting insight into your home working yeah, plans <laughs> I, yeah i don't I, you know i don't have an xbox so it, it will be fine <laughs> but you do like pizza <laughs> <laughs> yeah Okay, so we also had um, a listener question in about the market impact on um, this person's portfolio. So um, Karen emailed in and she is invested in a SIP, so in her pension, and she says that she's lost five years worth of growth in her SIP based on the market falls last week. So this was an email that came at the end of last week, so it's not really factoring in any market rise this week. Um, and she's talking about the fact that she can't afford to take funds out of her pension because it will deplete it too much and she has no cash to buy on the dips and so what should she do? And I think it's an interesting question because we talk about how invest investing is a very long-term thing and if you're building up your pension pot, you should just see this as a, a kind of blip but this is someone who's investing and living off that money now um so it's a slightly different situation they can't necessarily afford to just sit back and wait for however long it takes for markets to rebound yeah i mean we've got to be slightly careful here we're not allowed to give financial advice no exactly and we don't know all of her circumstances other sources of income so i think we can just take it as a kind of general question of what happens if you need to access your money now rather than having the ability to wait for a long time until markets rebound yeah i mean so if you're if you're retired uh, i guess the the best um, or not or perhaps one of the best approaches is to see if you can live off the natural yield so just the dividends that are being paid out by your portfolio but um, clearly if, if that's not possible um, and you need to start selling down some of your investments well if the value of your investments has fallen quite a lot in the last week um, if you continue to sell down at the current or the, the rate that you've been used to well you might find that your pension pot it runs out much sooner than you perhaps had expected. Because you're kind of a forced seller when your investments are worth less. And so then you have to sell more of them to generate that same amount of money. And then you've got less left in the pot to grow in future. I mean, that's, a, uh, that's you know, it's not a nice situation to be in. But I think it should prompt you to think, well, 
is there any way I can perhaps reduce the amount of money that I am taking out, um, potentially to make it last longer? Because you know, the ultimate goal is to hopefully see the, the value of your portfolio recover um, from these recent losses. But we don't know how long that will be. I and mean, there's no guarantee it will actually happen. So, um, yeah, it's very frustrating. And also the, the, the point about saying you don't have any cash in which to make yeah, bargains Yeah, this feels well. like the big kind of a red flag to me in terms of if you're relying on your investments to provide you with an income, for example, if you are in retirement, um, then you should have a decent amount of income set aside in cash so that if a market fall does happen, you know that for a certain amount of time you can tide yourself over. So in the same way that when people are working, we always say that you should have a cash pot of an emergency cash pile in case something happens, you lose your job or an unexpected expense comes in, you've got some cash money to fall back on. And that's even more important if you're relying on investments for your day-to-day income yeah so i think it's definitely pretty worth taking you know if you're in this situation just take a look at your portfolio what's in it um you know if you're 100 in equities which is you know stocks and shares um are, are they really high risk and you know it does this really suit your risk appetite in, in having them and so another another part of um karen's question was was there any any indicators that would show when markets are going to rebound well there isn't a magic indicator that we can follow because if there was, everyone would just be following it um, and the markets wouldn't work like that. And we'd all be much richer. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there, there's some stuff you can follow. You could follow the, the copper price is a good indication of what how the, the markets see the state of the global economy. Um, this PMI data, so this is purchasing managers index data. So these are the people whose job is to... Um, gauge what's happening in a business and do they feel confident enough um, to be able to order in stuff for the future because if they're ordering in new things it must be feeling quite confident so there's an index which covers uh, manufacturing data um, services construction so you can look at all the, uh, and there's pmis per country as well so you can get a, a feel and we just had the china's um, latest pmi figure and, and there was a huge slump in it and i think no one should be surprised because if they've had so much disruption there. But, um, but I think if you were to want to study indicators, it's you know they would be the good places to start. But there's lots more. It, unfortunately, it's not that straightforward of just a checklist to follow. And um, and there's no one kind of clear signal where when it hits a certain point, you know that markets are going to rebound. Yeah. And I think it also comes back to that kind of risk level of if you're relying on that income to pay for your bills each month, then do you really want to be risking money on some indicators that you think might show that markets are going to rebound. Exactly. You know, there's a lot of people who just don't want to be doing this. They want to be living their lives, which is a perfectly fair um, approach to take. You know, you want you make put some money into the markets, that's fine, but you want to just don't have to do all this research and stuff. So um, it, it, it is not straightforward, unfortunately. I'm sorry not to, to sort of be the um, bearer of good news on this one, but, it, you know, just st- stick tight and don't panic is always the best sort of approach you can you can potentially take at the moment. And so um, another aspect to coronavirus is that lots of people will have plans to travel. Um, and there seems to be a lot of uncertainty about what happens if your travel plans have been disrupted because of coronavirus. So I thought it would be handy to look at what you get a refund for and what you don't. Um, so it is quite tricky. So the Foreign and Commonwealth Office has a website and they will advise against travel to certain areas. And at the moment, that is only a handful of areas. So it's um, some particular towns that are quite small in, in northern Italy, for example, um, mainland China. Um, if they've advised against travel, then you 
should be able to get a refund. So either your your airline will refund you because they won't be flying there anymore, or you can then claim on your travel insurance. But the the bigger grey area is where you might not want to travel, um, but the foreign office hasn't said that you can't travel there. So I know some people, for instance, are going to Italy, but not to those specific towns where the foreign office has warned against travel. Um, and in those examples, the broad rule is that your travel insurance doesn't pay out for what's called disinclination to travel. So you basically saying, everything's closed there and I don't want to go or I don't want to take the risk. Um, your travel insurance is very unlikely to pay out for that, which is obviously puts travellers in quite a hard position in some cases. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly know when you're booking hotels, quite a lot of them give you the option of... Um, you can pay a slightly bit more, but be able to cancel up until like the the, the morning of your mm. trip. Um, so that, I mean, I guess there might be some way of clawing back at least the accommodation part of your stuff. But yeah, you know. and I think and some airlines. It depends which airline you book with. Some airlines are even even though they're still running flights, there are allowing you to delay your flights. So British Airways, for example, to some places in Italy is allowing you to push back your travel so you can make use of that obviously then if you've booked your accommodation separately then you'd need to deal with that you might be able to call them and, and convince them that you could travel a week later or two weeks later um, but it's also whether you're going to feel comfortable traveling at that point as well um, there's also been some uh, some events that people would have been traveling for um, so um, there's been some music concerts that have been cancelled now um, things like the Chinese Grand Prix um, have been cancelled and some people might have been traveling for that now if you've booked all of your aspects of that travel separately. So you bought your tickets to the event separately to buying your um, flights, to buying your hotel, then you're not going to be covered just because the main reason that you're traveling has been cancelled. Um, so there you would need to go back to the previous thing of um, trying to speak to your airline, seeing if you can rearrange, but your travel insurance won't pay out for that because that would come under the kind of you've decided not to travel rather than you've been told you can't travel. Um, the only caveat is if you booked it as part of a package and then the main selling point of that that travel package was going to that event, um, then uh, then you might be able to get a refund on that. You should be able to because the event's cancelled and that is the main focus of that trip and of that package. Um, so you should be able to get a refund there. Yeah, and I guess from the insurance company's perspective, you know, they're, they're trying to make money. They're not trying to run a business. So... Um, I don't know. I've not. I've never had an experience of trying to sort of see how um, friendly they are in sort of difficult situations. But I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have very high expectations that they're going to be that lenient. So it's good to hear that the airlines, or some of them, are um, at least letting you be a bit more flexible with your booking. So. Yeah, and and some travel insurance will pay out for some things. So if if. Um, you your flight got cancelled because you can't travel to the area and your accommodation got cancelled but you've incurred other expenses so there's things maybe that you've booked or paid for paid for a taxi to the airport in advance things like that then your travel insurance um, might pay out for that the big thing is that if you are planning on traveling and you don't have travel insurance already then you need to buy it because if the government tells you that you can't travel to a particular area and you incur some of those costs and you want to claim on in tra travel insurance you need to have had the travel insurance before the government made that decision there's no use buying it after the government says you can't travel to that area because your travel insurance won't cover you so martin lewis has this great phrase of um you should buy travel insurance asab which is as soon as you book and that is good advice because then that means you're covered for the entire thing rather than buying it the day before you're planning on going 
saying. Yeah, that's what I, that, that's, I, I read something similar, actually. So um, I actually bought uh, an annual policy, which I don't normally do. I normally just do, um, you know, per trip. Uh, but I think it's it, it does seem like pretty decent advice. You know, fair enough, you might be insured for, a, say, a couple of months when you're not actually doing anything, but it surely peace of mind or hopeful peace of mind. Yeah, and if you're going on a few trips a year, it can actually work out cheaper. But I think that's the other thing I'd caution against is obviously most people when they're buying travel insurance or lots of people go to a price comparison website and just find, put in, plug in the dates that they're going to be away and find the cheapest policy for that trip that gives them some level of cover. I think if you're travelling during this period and, and you think you might be affected by coronavirus, it's definitely worth reading some of the small print on those policies before you buy them because the last thing you want is to have shelled out for travel insurance and then find that it's a policy that doesn't cover you for anything that you might have wanted to claim for. Um, so it's definitely a case where it's worth reading a bit of that small print before you buy. Yeah. So we've got the UK budget coming up in a matter of days. Uh, there's always some sort of leaks ahead of the event. But interestingly, we've got um, some stuff that was in the Times newspaper at the weekend about Saeed Javid, um, who's no longer the Chancellor, but actually talks about what he would have um, had if in his budget. And there were some really quite interesting things. So, Laura, what's the sort of the key headlines? What do you think that you know, he was promising? And do you think that we can actually expect the same policy to be announced at the budget? It's so interesting because it's kind of a, a behind the scenes look at how some of these budgets work and what would have happened had he stayed in position. So his big kind of headline thing was cutting the basic rate of tax from 20% down to 18%. Um, and he was planning on doing that from April. So that would be a big saving for the large proportion of the population on basic rate tax. Um, and so his plan was to do that. But obviously, that's quite a big tax giveaway. And you've got to work out how he's going to pay for that. Yeah, I was already he was, he was, over time, you'd hope that go down to 15% as well. I mean, yeah. that's, that's, I can't remember the last time they made um, a cut. I think it's about 15 years, is it? So to basic rate tax. I mean, that's it's been a very long time. Because so what they've been doing has been increasing the personal allowance, so increasing the tax-free amount that you can earn every year. And they've been kind of giving a tax break in that way, rather yeah. than actually cutting the tax rate. Cutting the tax rate is a big giveaway, but also a great headline to come out with, because it's such a, it affects most people that are earning um, mm. in, in the UK. So... Yeah, that felt like quite a big... And, and he did talk about, um, when he was Chancellor, he talked about the fact that he was a low-tax guy, he was a simple-tax guy, and so some of these pledges kind of back that up. He also wanted to reduce stamp duty, uh, which Boris Johnson's talked about before as well, um, but one of his big plans was to reduce stamp duty. And then he also talked about kind of... Um, giving more money to the public purse so for things like police officers and, and nurses and, and things like that. Yeah, I think, obviously, I think infrastructure is the one area people are sort of expecting, no matter who's the chancellor, that you know, we'll, we'll get some more spending on that. But, um, you know, but on the housing side of things, and there's some, some, just, some sort of suggestion that we might have more relaxed planning laws. Um, it seems the government still is quite eager to sort of find a solution to the housing problem. Um, it won't happen overnight, but... Um, I think it's quite encouraging that they're they're sort of still trying to find new ways of um, 
finding some sort of solution to it. Yeah, although in the Conservative manifesto, um, there wasn't really that much concrete on housing. There was some kind of some talk of longer term mortgages for first time buyers. There was some talk of more discounted kind of starter homes, but nothing really that kind of solid and that's a massive overhaul. But I think what's going to be really interesting about this budget is the the Conservatives have such a, a, a big majority compared to recent parliaments, um, but also we've got this new Chancellor that's come in that's barely been in the job a month or so um, when he delivers his first budget, and we've got this talk of there being much closer working between um, Boris Johnson and the Chancellor and the Treasury, because um, that's kind of the circumstances that Savage Javid um, quit under. And so um, I think it's going to be an interesting budget. I think there's going to be some some kind of big announcements in there. Um, it's just which way they decide to go. I guess it's also how much um, the coronavirus situation sort of um, either increased in sort of severity or or changed. It might have a big influence. That there might be that they, I don't know, sit on some stuff for a while. Um, you feel like it's a budget where maybe they're going to be making changes right up until the minute before they actually deliver it. Yes, I mean, there was something the other day sort of saying that they had to have submitted all the stuff so um, you can get all the proper forecasts done in time. But actually, I was reading something yesterday saying, actually, no, they're having another look at things because it's, um, you know, it's it's just a totally moving situation on a sort of a daily basis with the coronavirus stuff. So, um, and I guess it's, well, we've still got another week until the the budget happens and a lot can happen in a week as we've just seen from a global stock market perspective so and i think a lot can change in in the government in terms of if we look back a month about because the the budget leaks started really early this year so normally we see um kind of in the weekend papers and, and in a lot of the newspapers these stories get leaked out and and sometimes they're from the government and sometimes they're rumors um but that started much earlier this year normally that only happens in a couple of weeks before the budget um so we've seen lots of suggestions got floated out and then have now the government's kind of backed away from and distanced themselves from, whether they were real things in the first place or whether the proposals went down so badly with MPs and and the public that they decided to back away from them, you never know. Um, But I think it's going to be interesting to see kind of what happens next week. Like you say, we've got another week to go. We've got another set of weekend papers before then where we might see more proposals. Um, But next week after the budget, so the day after the budget, we're going to do a podcast special um, covering all of the things that they've talked about in the budget, all of the new announcements, the impact that it'll have on your finances. So we'll summarise all of that stuff next week. Yeah, and we'll have Tom Selby on as well, just in case there's any pension stuff in there. I'm sure there will be pension stuff. He'll find it. He'll (laughs) dig it out. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, Dan, you've got some exciting news about not having to go into the bank to cash your checks. My first question is, who still writes checks? Well, I get quite a lot of checks, actually. Um, what, just from fans? No, no, for, seemingly from um, one place in particular, GWR. So it's Great Western Railway. Because uh, um, I do a lot of travelling to the West Country and the trains aren't always very reliable, so I'm constantly having to get refunded stuff. But you know, rather than just you know the usual thing these days is just put the money back in your bank account they send me they take a couple of months to send me a blooming check which the cynical person in me is because they know that not everyone's going to cash that and they save money that way (laughs) but i had i i signed up recently to starling bank and they sent me a nice email telling me coming very soon the ability to pay a check in digitally i thought what um and so I thought, this is this is brilliant. It's exactly what I want because I'm fed up of going to a bank branch. Um, 
turns out it's not a new thing. <laughs> <laughs> Been around for a couple of years. I yeah, I think totally... I've heard of it before. Is it where you take a picture of it? And... Yeah, t- I've totally missed it. I don't understand because I, I quite often go to HSBC to, p- to pay a check-in. I use their automated machines, which Do are... Do they blow your mind as well? <laughs> no, they are awful. I s- they can't, you put your put your forms in and then just they spit the check back out and the guy or the, the lady who's working there from HSBC just stands next to me and says I'm really sorry these are just so unreliable but you would have thought um, that they might have said well, it might be more convenient for you to use your phone to take a picture of a check maybe they think you like the outing to the bank <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I just thought you know, the, the obviously for years banks have been trying to get you to go to their branches less because it means that they don't have to employ so many people um, and the, they have to have fewer branches yes exactly so you would have thought I had literally have never seen any pictures or posters or no one's told me the ability to pay a check in um, so it turns out that there's Quite a lot of the big banks do it. Monzo said it was going to do it, but then changed its mind, saying it had so many other things it was going to do development work on. Um, NatWest had it, uh, some problems with its system last summer, but it seems to me that from all the sort of the, the quick research I did, um, perhaps the reason why they don't tell you is because no one has checks these days. Or you know, it, yeah, because I was thinking when you said Monzo were going to launch it, Monzo's demographic is very much the kind of millennial generation. I can't imagine many of them are receiving checks. No, but I mean, you you, you might get a check for your birthday from a, no. a grandparent or something. No. I mean, I don't have any grandparents left, yeah. so maybe that's why. But also, no, wouldn't you, wouldn't you just get a gift voucher or money? I don't know. But what What if you didn't trust the post um, <laughs> and you, you know, your money goes missing um, and you didn't want to get a gift voucher, but you wanted to literally give them the money for something specific, you'd send them a cheque. I don't think yeah. I even have a chequebook. <laughs> I wouldn't send them a cheque. <laughs> also, I don't believe in giving money as a present. Oh. I feel like that's a whole separate podcast topic, but... But if they were doing something like doing some travelling, wouldn't they benefit from if you'd help sort of pay, give them some money to go I don't so they know can buy their baguettes I'm giving all onions. of this money out to. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, well, well yeah, I, I thought it was interesting. And I, do you I, know what? It might be news to some listeners as well. Yeah. They might not realise that <laughs> they could do this and have been able to for the past three years. Yeah, well, I, 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 am, I am blown away by it because... Have you done it yet? Have you tried it yet? No, not yet. No, I haven't got any checks to pay. <laughs> I'll send you one. <laughs> I'm sure sure someone will give me a check, but I think it's good because I, I, I don't like that trip to the bank branch. I find it just a waste of time when clearly in this modern world, you must be able to do something a bit more conveniently. So I, for me, this is brilliant news. I so. quite like a trip to the bank because <laughs> this is going to make me sound really sad. Sometimes you need a reason to go out of the office at lunchtime because otherwise you just sit at your desk all day. So it's quite nice to have a little task. You could go to the library. You could um, go and do some watercolour painting <laughs> on the river. And we work right next to the Thames. That, that's so. Thursday and Friday. But what's <laughs> filling Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? Bank trips. <laughs> <laughs> the gym you could go you know, there's so oh, many things you could do on your lunch the break. gym is always on my list of things to do just never quite get there yeah <laughs> <laughs> anyway thank you ever so much for listening this week remember you can listen to us on the move using spotify um, the iphone podcast app or podbean just search for aj bell money markets um be great if you could leave us a review so we know whether you like what we're saying or not um and then we'll see you next week for the budget special thanks very much thanks a lot Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell or Shares Magazine. 
The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor. Thank you.